Election College episode number 314, Lyndon Baines Johnson, part one. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Ben, I'm just assuming that we're going to have multiple parts for LBJ, but not 25 parts like we did for, well, the past couple of presidents. Uh, JFK was only four. It was only four. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not too bad. Not terrible. It's kind of bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, greeting from Nash Vegas, by the way. I'm in Nashville. I am uh, actually not too far from the Hermitage where, you know, Andy Jack is from. Have you been there before? I can't remember. Just earlier this year, we saw that vintage baseball game that right. was right next to his grave. Yeah. And we snuck past the entrance to go to the bathroom. Yeah, that's right. I remember that times. story now. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, Nashville, wonderful place. But uh, we're talking about LBJ. That's right. And he basically has no connection to Nashville that I can think of, at least. I can't think of any, but I'm sure there is. But hey, we went to Lincoln's birthplace this week. Oh, nice. Just had to say that. Yeah, talk about that for a minute, because I think that's just super... I, I mean, I know this is uh, an episode about LBJ, but just give like a little two-minute you know, primer about it. Okay, so I was raised in Kentucky, right? And we went to the birthplace in elementary school, and they're like, hey, his log cabin that he was born in was inside this magnificent Greek Revival temple thingy that was built in the 20s. And now they say... Well, it's possible that one of the logs could have come from his log cabin, but they didn't really care about preserving those things back then because they didn't know Abraham Lincoln was going to be Abraham Lincoln. So it may or may not be the log cabin. <laughs> it's still interesting. And one really cool thing was, so he only lived at that site for the first couple of years of his life. He did remember the second place. Uh, was, which was called Knob Creek. And this farm was where he famously, well, I don't know if you knew this, Ben, but he almost drowned in this creek. Yeah. And his friend saved his life. And he moved from Knob Creek when he was like seven years old. So these are very early re memories for him. But the creek we totally went into the creek bed and went fossil hunting near where Lincoln almost died. <laughs> Found all <laughs> kinds of cool fossils. I hope that's legal. Well, that's you didn't legal. say you kept them. You just said you found them. Yeah, we found fossils in the creek bed, and it was awesome. And we were the only ones there. Wow. And yeah, it's found off a great season, pizza I place. Found a great barbecue place. And do you think Lincoln went to the that barbecue place? Actually, we've been saying that all week. You know, do you think this is where Lincoln ate pizza? Do you think this is where Lincoln <laughs> camped? And my five year old actually today said, "Do you think that's where Lincoln 
did such and such. And then he rolled his eyes because, you know. Yeah. Mom and dad can't be that funny. Because he's five. Yeah. Yeah. He's five, but I thought this was like 13-year-old people did that (laughs) kind of thing. Anyway, lots of cool Lincoln heritage down this way. Well, about an hour north of Nashville. But if you ever get a chance to go to Western Kentucky, do it. There's a lot of cool things. Nice. I've never been to Lincoln's Shrine, so maybe someday. It's crazy because it sits... So the county where Lincoln was born is the last county in the eastern time zone. Uh Uh-huh. And then the Mammoth Cave stuff is in central time. It gets really confusing. I imagine it would be confusing to live right on one of those time zone borders. I just blows my mind because my phone didn't know always when to change uh-huh. and if anybody comments you know yeah, there's a setting on your phone well it doesn't matter because i had the setting on to update my computer thankfully has stayed on eastern time uh-huh. but my phone is wonky i've actually had to google you know what's the current what time, time is it yeah uh, <laughs> i know that I, I talked to a guy who lived like right on that border between eastern and, and central and he said that basically for his life to make sense, he had to pick a time, stick with it, and then if, you know, he set up an appointment with somebody or something, he would say, um, okay, we're meeting at, you know, 8, 8, 8 a.m. Eastern. And if they were like, okay, well, we're going to meet at 8 a.m. Uh, Central, he would just put that on his phone as 9 or something like that. So mm-hmm. he had to always stay on one mindset rather than try Because I think he lived in one time zone and worked in another time zone. And even though it was only like 15 miles away. So must be really tricky. Yeah. And then the poor people. So Indiana was this way up until the last time. You remember when Congress changed it? It was now standard time is a shorter period. Right. So when we fall back, it's for a shorter period of falling back. Well, in Indiana, they didn't change time. Uh But some of the counties did. And they would have fast time and slow time because sometimes they aligned more with like Cincinnati and other times they would align more with Chicago and Oof. got really confusing for people. I'm happy I live firmly in, in the Eastern time zone. Yeah. That's one of the tricky things about living near, near the line. Yeah. But go figure. But as you get closer to a metro area... Like now that we're in Nashville, it's kind of simple. To be like, okay, everything's in. Everybody else is in Central Time. Right, right. But then we're gonna be back into Eastern Time, and then time changes this weekend, this upcoming weekend. <laughs> You're basically a, a time traveler, Jason. That's what I'm hearing from yeah. this. Yeah. It reminds me of the one time we were in Ireland and flew back. Time had changed in the states. We flew back into Chicago, but we're driving back to Cincinnati and. I didn't have a smartphone. Oh, yeah. That's rough. Didn't know what time it was. Yeah. Well, anyway. What does that uh, have to do with LBJ? LBJ, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Lyndon Baines Johnson. He'd be over 111 years old now. He was born August 27th, 1908, near Stonewall, Texas. And he was the oldest of five children born to Samuel and Rebecca. And... LBJ had one brother, aptly named Sam Houston Johnson, and 
they lived in the nearby small town of Johnson City, Texas, which, in case you wondered, yes, it is named after a relative of LBJ. It's named after his father's cousin, James Polk Johnson. Hey, Polk. He's from this Tennessee area. That it's I'm all connected. Now. It's all connected. It's crazy. So there is an LBJ connection to Nashville. I suppose so. If you, if you, we'll stretch it out and say there's a there's a connection there. Of course there is. Yeah. Well, his on his mother's side, uh, back in his lineage was a or is it lineage if it's before? Yeah, I think so. Whatever. Back in the in his in one of his predecessors was George Washington Baines, uh, who had pastored a bunch of different churches in Texas and had been all around uh, the South and Arkansas and Louisiana, and his. Um, that relative was also the president of Baylor University during the Civil War. And being a descendant of someone who was so intricately involved in uh, religion and different churches and stuff, it definitely affects uh, Lyndon Johnson's life because, well, his grandfather was a pastor and he was raised as a Baptist and then later on Disciples of Christ. And so that kind of, you know, trickles down through the family and Johnson himself was really later on affected by all those things he had learned and um, had a positive attitude towards religion, had a positive attitude towards uh, Jewish individuals. And he got a lot of that stuff from his grandfather uh, teaching him up in the faith. Yeah. So in school and there he is, he's at Johnson city high school, which I think would totally be awesome. Have you ever been to a place that's named Smith? That's probably not too. It's probably not too. Yeah, I don't even know at this point if I have. <laughs> hey, well, the campground that we stay at when we come to Butler, that's Smith. That's true. The name. Yeah. But I've been to Goffstown, New Hampshire. Went there specifically because I thought that would be cool. Yeah. Well, anyway. Was it Johnson cool? had that. It was kind of neat. Okay, cool. You know, just to be around family, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but anyway, I think they were a different sect of Goffs because, let's face it, everybody else is named Goff. It's just a common name. True. Anyway, not really, ladies and gentlemen. That was me trying to be funny. Anyway, Johnson, he graduates in 1924 from Johnson City High School. And, you know, he was kind of a awkward guy, but he was talkative and he was elected president of his class in the 11th grade uh he was very much pressured by his parents to go to college and he went to southwest state teachers southwest texas state teachers college which if you can say southwest texas state teachers college then you pretty much are a quarter of the way to earning your degree because that's <laughs> a mouthful um but you know everybody who's a fan of their teams they, they just say swt S-T-C, yeah. for short. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he uh, takes it upon himself to leave uh, just after he enrolls there and uh, moves to Southern California because that's what you do at that era. If you're from Texas, you move to California, and now everybody's moving back. But he works in his cousin's legal practice and uh, does some odd jobs and then does the thing that people do when they move to California. They move, he moves back to Texas and uh, he 
goes to Texas State University because it's a lot easier to say. But ironically, that's what Southwest State, Southwest Texas State Teachers College becomes. So that's right. To say Texas State. It is. Whew. That's probably why they changed it. They were just like, we're the enrollment is suffering because our name is too hard to say. So we've got to change the name. We need a branding consultant, and that's what they did. <laughs> so he works his way through school. You know, he's uh, he's there, of course, doing his schoolwork, but also he's engaged in different campus politics. Uh, he was engaged in the debate club. He did a lot of work with the school newspaper. And really, during this time, he learns that he not only likes to uh, debate and politic, uh, he also decides that he's going to go teach some Mexican American children uh, for about nine months, and that is in San Antonio, or actually, it's a little bit south of San Antonio. And really, while he's there working, he takes a little break from school, he earns some money, uh, and he's able to go back and finish up his education before going on and becoming a teacher again. So, in 1931, Richard M. Kleberg wins a special election to represent Texas and in the u.s house of representatives so he's like hey young lbj why don't you come on over and be my legislative secretary and he gets this position on the recommendation of his dad uh, and of the state senator willie hopkins and kleberg doesn't really like being a congressman (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's just one of those guys who likes the title. Or the paycheck. But, yeah. And he delegates his responsibilities to young LBJ. And in 1932, FDR... Man, we're going to use a lot of initials, but our audience knows these initials, right? They're used to it. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He wins the presidential election, as you know. Johnson becomes a staunch supporter of the New Deal. And Johnson becomes the speaker of the little congress which is a group of congressional aides and johnson's friends are like hey you know what we're gonna make you very influential roosevelt likes him john nance garner likes him sam rayburn likes him all the democrats everyone they love lbj and it was during this time that another person who was from Texas as well, takes an interest in London, and that is Claudia Alta Taylor, you know, Lady Bird. So in November of 1934, they get married. Yeah, so they have a couple daughters, and he gives his children the same initials as he has LBJ. Uh, He also names his dog LBJ, Little Beagle Johnson, which is kind of funny, and his (laughs) <laughs> his ranch that he lives on is called LBJ Ranch, and he has his initials on his cufflinks and his ashtrays and clothes. So I wonder, you know, I always just call him LBJ because it's easier to say. Uh, it's just faster to say. But I wonder if there's like, you know, an entire segment of our culture that refers to him as LBJ simply because he referred to himself so much as LBJ to ingrain that in the psyche of everyone around him. But we'll never know for sure. Yeah. So in 1935, he gets appointed as the head of the Texas National Youth Administration. 
So this is really helping him. You know, he's working in the government, creating different uh, education opportunities and job opportunities for uh, young people. And he works there. He, he does that for a couple of years. Um, and he's really rough. He's tough on people. He uh, makes them work long days and long weekends. And um, he's motivated, but he also really wants control and to, to be the top dog. Um, he works there for about two years, like I said. And then he decides he's going to run for Congress, which we'll get into here in a second, uh, and quits that job in order to be able to run for Congress. But of course, you know, he does still have all those people who remember him as the tough boss. Yeah. Does does you a lot of good sometimes when you're really confident. True. Some some very uber confident people become very uberly influential just because of their ability to be well confident. Anyway, yeah. in 1937, uh, James P. Buchanan, he's the 13-term congressman from the Hill Country of Texas. He passes away. Johnson successfully campaigns. He wins uh, on this New Deal platform. He's aided by his wife, uh, Lady Bird. He serves in Congress from April of 1937 to January 1949. FDR finds him to be an ally. He is a conduit for a lot of information, uh, especially when it came to issues concerning internal politics in Texas, which is pretty important, right? And Johnson gets appointed to the Naval Affairs Committee there in Congress. And he starts, you know, getting some of his friends in influential places in the military. Uh, doesn't hurt him very much because in 1941, uh, he runs for U.S. Senate. He loses just by a hair uh, to the governor of Texas, W. Lee O. Daniel. Um, he only loses by, well, I mean, it's like just maybe a little over a thousand votes. So kind of a big deal. But he continues to gain an influence because he becomes appointed a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Naval Reserve in June of 1940. So he's there serving in the Naval Reserve. He's a U.S. rep. And he gets called to active duty after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. And it's because of this that Roosevelt really relies on young LBJ to get some info on what's going on there in the uh, Southwest Pacific. So Roosevelt assigns Johnson to a three-man survey team uh, covering the Southwest Pacific and Johnson's reporting to all these influential people, including General Douglas MacArthur. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that LBJ actually asked if he could have a combat position, uh, and instead they sent him to some other places before he ended up going to the Southwest Pacific. Uh, so he wanted to go and, and fight for the country, and they were like, no, nah, you're going to do something different instead. Um, so yeah, like Jason said, he ends up going to Australia. Uh, he is one of the only people in his crew. I don't, I don't know exactly what kind of uh, section that was, whether it was, uh, uh, you know, all the different military <laughs> groupings. But he was one of the only people in his crew that received 
the Silver Star for gallantry in action. And this is a pretty dangerous area where they were, um, especially during this time, obviously, with, uh, with World War II happening. And um, Southwest Pacific is not a great place for Americans to be at this time. And he really kind of revolutionizes a few different things. Um, first of all, he observes the conditions at that time in the area and uses a movie camera, which to us is like, yeah, you can just do it on your phone, but you know, it's kind of a big deal to use a movie camera to record the different kinds of conditions that are going on and takes that back to Roosevelt and to the different leaders in the military and the Navy specifically. And he tells Congress like, Hey, the conditions where these people are living, you know, our, our military men are living is just unacceptable. And this might be, or may not be, one of the reasons why he got the Silver Star, just for looking out for other people uh, who he was there with. Yeah, so with this new confidence, <laughs> confidence just keeps on building, right? He goes and runs for the U.S. Senate once again in 1948, and he wins the Democratic primary against the well-known former governor of Coke Stevenson. Johnson draws crowds wherever he goes. Uh, he rents a helicopter, which is called the Johnson City Windmill. <laughs> I wonder if I had a picture of him, because, you know, he's Mr. Confident. Maybe. Anyway, he comes in first in the primary. He lacks a majority, so he doesn't win outright. There's a runoff that's needed to happen, and... He campaigns even harder, and he wins. Uh, by 87 votes, he wins. And this is not without controversy, as you can imagine, because, well, you know. You know what happens when elections are that close. Yeah. When happen that, you know, somebody wrote something, and maybe a few dead people voted, or, you know. It's really interesting because, you know, they're – I'm not saying we have widespread election fraud or anything like that, but even today we probably have a few people who slip through here and there um, that are, or a few names, few votes that aren't um, on the up and up. Probably more likely you get people who offer someone something to vote for something a certain way. That's probably more common than I think has even been documented. But then that day, things are a lot less technical and it's a lot harder to figure things out. And one of the accusations was that the names that were added to the ballots, uh, which this is discovered like six days after the actual election, some of the names that were added to the ballots in one particular box in one particular county uh, well, they were written in alphabetical order. They were written with the same pen and the same handwriting, and they were at the end of the rest of the rest of the voters that were listed. Um, some of the people insisted they had not even voted that day. So, yeah, uh, it's entirely possible that there were two over two hundred votes for Johnson that were somebody else. I'm not saying Johnson was involved, but somebody else wanted Johnson to win really badly and wrote those names in. But regardless. He still ends up taking the seat. Yeah, he wins handily in the in the general election against uh, Jack Porter. They call him landslide. Landslide. <laughs> oh, I can't say landslide tonight. Landslide Linden, and 
he's like, yep, that's me. <laughs> Good old landslide me. <laughs> he just like embraced it. Yeah. yeah. He's there in the Senate and he really gets along with some of these older Democratic senators. He's forming alliances from the get-go. They know him. He knows them. And he uses his influence to receive broadcast licenses from the FCC in his wife's name. Nothing wrong with that. Well, there might be a few things wrong with that. But <laughs> it's okay. It's LBJ. He can get away with it. Just exude some confidence. And his wife, you know, she's a smart lady. So in the 1952 general election, the Republicans win a majority in both the House and Senate. Johnson is chosen to be the minority leader. So there he is. He's the big man on Capitol Hill. Can yeah. But imagine. Have you heard about the treatment? Oh, the, yeah. Yeah, where he would scowl at people. Yeah. <laughs> scary. Uh, he was a... I kind of think LBJ was a scary-looking guy. And if he was trying to scare me on top of being kind of a scary-looking guy, you know, intimidating, not scary, intimidating... Um, I'm pretty sure I would be intimidated. Yeah. Yeah. And if you weren't a smoker and you got the treatment, there he is in your face. <laughs> he smoked 60 cigarettes a day. Wowzer. That is a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> Even by modern times, it's a lot of cigarettes, but wow. Yeah. What's, let's see. So, what's up? You always people always refer to how many packs a day they smoke, and a lot of people are like half a pack a day, or you know whatever. A sixty cigarettes would be equivalent to modern day uh, three packs a day. I think that's right. Oh wow! Yeah, so that's a lot of cigarettes. Yeah, he has a near fatal heart attack in July of nineteen fifty-five. I wonder he's why like... he's smoking sixty cigarettes a day. <laughs> he's like, uh, no, not going to smoke anymore until he's out of office. Like, out of presidential office. I guess he's like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah. I'm no longer president. I guess I can take this thing back up again. Yeah. Uh, talking about LBJ smoking is probably where we're going to cut it off for this week. Um, we will pick up with some campaigns and maybe a candidacy for president next time. But in the meantime, we want to make sure to tell you thank you for listening. We appreciate that. And the, one of the best ways you can help us is to go over to iTunes, leave us a little review and rating. Uh, you know, tell tell Steve Cook over at Apple how much you like us uh, by, by leaving a review on iTunes. And then you can also let other people know who might be looking for a show to listen to. They'll see your review and think maybe it's worth it. It's Tim Cook, isn't it? Oh, it is. I was Yes. I was thinking of Steve Apple and uh, oh, or Tim so Apple and, and yeah. Steve Jobs Apple. and it's it's definitely Tim Cook. Wow. Mind is blown. <laughs> and while your mind is blown, if you're looking at supporting other huge mega big businesses that are on the internet, if you go shopping on Amazon at all, you can always purchase things and uh, you know, using our affiliate link. All you have to do is go to electioncollege.com slash Amazon, and you'll be taken to Amazon. You'll buy your stuff, and we get a little cut of it. So we appreciate that. Each and every time somebody 
votes with their dollars. We sincerely appreciate your support. You're just taking a little money out of Jeff Bezos' pocket. No big deal. Yeah. Or Tim Bezos. Or Tim Bezos. Steve Bezos. Yeah. Yeah. Jason Bezos. Ben Bezos. Right. Whatever. Thanks for listening. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time.